Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to CCF Sunday morning service. It's great to see you all. Um, we're still towards sort of the beginning of the year, so if you're new, thanks for coming. We're really glad you're here. Uh, my name's Reed. I am one of the staff persons here, one of six staff persons. I've been here for 13 years, um, and that is getting to be a long time. Hey, uh, speaking of new people, it, it occurs to me that unless you're a senior, um, you've, you've never really had like a full regular school year at Truman. Um, and retreats are coming up. I, I wanted to just put in my two cents and my plug for that uh, because a lot of the guys here, I just took it for granted that like everybody always knows what the seed mill is because we used to go there every year and then uh, we didn't um, because we had a pandemic. And also the last time we did retreats, we had combined men's and women's retreats. Um, so for those of you who are juniors, like that's all, that's all you've known. Um, but... And I'm speaking, I guess, to the men specifically here because I've never gone on a women's retreat. I have been at IMO. It's a nice place. There's a pond. You can fish. Um, there's also a pond at the seed mill, which is this glorious place. Some of the guys went there yesterday to help clean up. And it is a glorious place out in the hills of Missouri <clears throat> somewhere, like 35 minutes from here. Uh, and there's this awesome guy named Dave, who's a lawyer from Kansas City, and he owns the seed mill, but he just calls himself the caretaker, not the owner. And it's been converted into this like cool retreat place, uh, and it's a really special, holy, awesome time. Uh, so if you've got nothing else really pressing that you need to do in a couple of weekends, uh, would you sign up and come with us? We, we would love to have you. It's a great time to get to know other uh, people in CCF, uh, other men or women, depending on your retreat, uh, to actually take a breath because God knows you all need to take a breath. Uh, so please come with us. Sign up in the the form that's there in the group me and the links, and we'd we'd love to have you. Um. Oh, speaking of, I need to I need to do that. I just sent something to the group me that'll be relevant here in a bit. I don't have a title this morning because I don't really have a sermon this morning. Um, thinking about the cross this week, uh, we're thinking about, and I was supposed to be preaching on, uh, an aspect uh, that probably all of us or a lot of us have heard a lot about before, uh, and that deals with the metaphor of a courtroom. Um, it involves us as breakers of the law, of a law, it involves us as standing uh, guilty, dead to rights. Uh, it involves Jesus at the cross somehow uh, removing from us the deserved sentence uh, for our crimes. All true. I'm down with all of that. Uh, words like justification come up. Condemnation comes up. Um, that has to do with a courtroom. You are condemned to a sentence, life in prison or the electric chair. Uh, and these things have been talked about a lot before. And I was up until 3 a.m. last night uh, after a week of having, actually several weeks 
of having already thought like literally a million things about sin and our relationship to sin and what's that like. And I, I probably wrote 25 pages uh, and then erased almost all of it because I was like, yeah, this might be true, but it's crap. Like it, it's so abstract and so conceptual and so disconnected from the lives that we that we lead. And that's not on the truth of the matter. Like there is probably a way to communicate that really compellingly. And then there's my like whatever that I had coming out on the page. Um, and, and, and I was marching around the upstairs of the CCF house last night yelling at God, what, what? And then I was like, I can't, I can't, I don't have, I don't have the words for it. Uh, I couldn't come up with the words that felt resonant and grounded. Uh, and I kept telling myself like what Leanne would tell me. She's always like, just try to keep it so simple, love. <laughs> and I tried, <clears throat> but I couldn't. Uh, and it just kept getting so convoluted, which is the last thing you want to happen when you're trying to uh, help people connect to what is actually a really deep place in themselves. This idea of like, what, what do we do with uh, the things that we have done and being absolved of them and all of that. Um, so I said, I can't. And the thought that came back to me was, you don't have to. Uh, you're, you're loved. Uh, you, you gave your best. You tried. You couldn't. And you're loved. And yes, you distracted yourself too often this week, and you probably could have better utilized the time, uh, but you're loved. And yes, you sweated blood and tears trying to get this thing out, and yet you're, you're loved. Um, here, here's the basic fact of it. We've all participated in ways of living, and really I should say ways of dying, that serve to separate us, sever us from one another. And from God, we've all done things that just promote distortion and brokenness in relationships and in individuals and in the world around us. Uh, some of us definitely in more serious ways than in others, but all of us in ways that have cost something, cost both us and others something valuable. And this does create a case against us, back to the courtroom imagery. There's a case to be made against us, a need for resolution and restitution but but I'm just I'm not here to lecture you on sin and condemnation um not because I'm some hippie new age like it's all good um but I but I am here to say that rightly understood uh, and within the appropriate bounds this image that we are criminals who were on the verge of like this horrible sentence and the let go it actually is a beautiful and gracious gift uh, to consider um, but but maybe it's something that needs to be more just expressed and experienced rather than just heard, talked about as a concept. Yet one more time. Uh, somewhere around 1.30 a.m. I read this. Perhaps the only way to get to the truth of sin is through confession. We can theologize about it. We can conceptualize about it. We can have all of our fancy lessons and our cool Hebrew word studies and all of that stuff. And trust me, I went there. That's where the 25 pages was mostly going. Uh, but perhaps the only way to get to the truth of sin is through confession. Uh, so this morning, here's what we're going to do. Rather than me preach at you, we're going to have some space for us to make a sort of confession so that we can get to the truth of sin 
and the truth of where God stands with us in light of our sin, and hopefully something that we can uh, experience rather than just think about as a neat idea. Uh, And specifically, this is going to be about acknowledging three different experiences of condemnation. Because I think that we, we come under or we receive condemnation from three different places in our lives. One is our accusers, the voices outside ourselves uh, that, that want to point out the condemnable things in us. Um, the second is our conscience. It's the voice within ourselves uh, that condemns us. And then the third thing is just our record, meaning the facts of what we have said and what we have done and what we have left undone and unsaid. And that's apart from what any other voice would say about it. There is just the fact of the record. And what we're hoping for uh, as we go through uh, this sort of prayer liturgy that I've come up with is uh, we're hoping for vulnerability and we're hoping for healing and we're hoping for grace. And so here's what's going to happen. First, we're going to have a few minutes. Also, just everybody take a deep breath really quick because I can feel that some of you are like, oh gosh, what is he going to make me say? I'm not going to make you say anything, okay? So take a deep breath. Okay? Don't be scared. You're not going to be forced to do or coerced to do anything at all. Um, I'm going to give you a few minutes where you can reflect quietly and get some things out and down, out of your head, down onto paper, but not paper. You got your phones. Um, And then we're going to go through this three-part prayer together, and it's going to involve some participation if you want to. We're going to go through our accusers, our consciences, and our records in turn, and each time you're going to be invited to share uh, with me and with the group through me some of your experience. And when it comes to it, this can be as vague or as specific as you want. Um, So I put my phone number in the group me. Um, And so I'm going to ask you after we've had some time to reflect, and I'll prompt you, so don't worry about when. But I'm going to ask you to share those things with me if you want to. Uh, And I want to be clear that if you choose to share it with me, uh, I'm assuming that you're okay with me sharing it. But also to be really clear, anything that is shared is going to be anonymous. I'm not going to tell... Everybody will like JJ said this because we all already know what JJ's done. <laughs> um, so it's going to be shared anonymously, okay? And I'm not going to share them all, but whatever's sent to me, I will choose from. Not as a, this is a way of getting over condemnation, not of like shaming people. Uh, but I'm the only one who's going to know who said what. And even then, I'll only know if I actually have your number saved, which many of you I probably don't. Um, And then after I share each thing, there is going to be, uh, from the mic, all of us together are going to respond in unison with what we call the Jesus Prayer, which is also there in the group me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Comes from the parable that Jesus told about the two men who went up to the temple to pray. And one thought he was super righteous and better than everybody else, and he was like, hey, God, thanks that I'm not like these idiots. And the other guy was like, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he didn't say Lord Jesus Christ. He said, have mercy on me, a sinner. He tore his clothes. He beat his breast. So we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's going to be our collective, unified response to 
the struggles and the hurt and the failings of each of us. Okay, is everybody tracking with me? So let me say this. I know that sharing anything with anyone can be scary because here's the thing. Once you open up and you put it out there, like if you're speaking to people and you offer this thing about yourself, there's no pulling it back after you offer it out. It's just out there in the space. And you don't have any guarantees how they're going to respond to you. You don't know, like maybe they're going to judge you. Maybe they're going to look down on you. Maybe they're going to just get really awkward around you because they know this thing that you did. Like there's no guarantees that that's not going to happen. Okay? That's full disclosure. But as far as I'm concerned, like I have this deep conviction that it's in our brokenness that we, that we share something that connects us to one another and to God. Uh, Frederick Buechner talks about sin and he says, when we don't confess, our sin is the abyss between us and God or us and one another. And when we do confess, it becomes the bridge. So, chief of sinners, right here, and you'll hear from me too, okay? So, it's, I'm, there is no judgment, there is no condemnation if you choose to share with me and through the group with me, okay? Because we've all got our stuff. Uh, and, and I also have a deep conviction of what the scripture says, that it's in sharing these parts of ourselves, it's in speaking them, that we find healing. Okay? So, pull out your phones. Or if you use a journal, that's fine. You can use your journal, but you're going to have to still, if you want to send it to me, it's got to be this way. Pull out your notes app or wherever you do these things. And these are your three prompts. Accusers. So write accusers. And then prompt two is conscience. And then prompt three is record. Accusers. For me, honest, this is often my family, the family that I come from. Uh, the voices that take these parts of me that might be kind of true and they get distorted and they're used to condemn me, okay? Uh, conscience, this is the part of me that attacks myself when I'm already weak and I wonder, what does it say? And then the record, and again, this is the unbiased, uh, and here specifically, it's the unpretty facts of what I have done and said. And again, if you choose to share with me, I just want to be clear about that. It is anonymous, and you can be as vague or as specific as you want to be, okay? And hopefully we'll find some healing. Even if you do plan to keep this to yourself, which is totally fine, I still encourage you, take this next few minutes that I'm going to give us and actually think through these prompts and write them down, even if it's only for you, um, because even that can be a sort of confession. It's like a first step in confession is getting it out of here and into words outside of you. Uh, so now I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that. I'm going to start moving us through this. You're free to, if you still have things coming out, that's, that's fine. You can keep writing them down. The first place that we experience, well, not the first in like a linear fashion, but the first one that I want to talk about is the experience of condemnation that we have from our accusers. Um, and, and for many of you, this, this may take many different forms. And, and I think actually 
for a lot of us, this is where the idea of condemnation gets introduced into our lives. I don't know that we just pick it up ourselves, but it's a voice from someone else that first introduces this concept that we are condemnable. Uh, maybe it's a father who guilts you by telling you that you don't call enough. Maybe it's an employer that sends you home saying that maybe things would have run more smoothly without you. Maybe it's a coach who just constantly told you that you were garbage, that you weren't good enough. Um, they're, voice, they're voices that at one time spoke real words to you, uh, and those words now just keep ringing, and as they ring, uh, they become amplified. They become exaggerated in your own mind that there are honestly times where you're not sure that you shouldn't believe them. Um, and so this is going to be, be our first moment for prayer. So if, if you want to, you can feel free to send me anything that you wrote down from accusers, any thoughts you have, uh, your experience of condemnation from accusers. And then I am going, you can do that now, and I'm going to uh, sort through and just look at some of them, and I'll read them. And then after I read each one, we are going to respond together, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You are a burden, unreliable, not worth reaching out towards or pouring into. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. My parents' household has held a culture of shame for a long time. There are still degrees to which I feel they're not really proud of me or won't be until I make something of myself. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're worthless. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're not depressed. You're not anxious. You just need to pray more. You don't have a strong faith. Just get over it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The voice of my dad, fearfully controlling, pointing out every weakness, oversight, or mistake. The voice of my mom, accusing me of not caring, not trying enough. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You are a heretic if you believe that about God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner.
The accusers are the kids who used to bully me simply because I was shy or couldn't speak right. I hear their voices tearing me down and I can't build myself back up because I'm drowned in their collective shouts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You don't prioritize your family. You are a disappointment. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. My accusers are people close to me, family and loved ones who've gotten to know me and make it verbally clear how much they detest who I really am. I hear their words like they were just spoken. They swear and yell about me through the thin walls of my house, speak to me in a voice devoid of love. I try my best. They knew me. And they use that intimacy as a weapon. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You are too much for others to handle. You are unhealthy and sick. You are not enough. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as they continued to ask him, Jesus, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more, he bent down on the ground. When they heard it, they went away. The accusers went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are the family? Where are the bullies? Where are the voices? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I want to talk about conscience. And thank you all for sharing. I'm getting a lot more messages than I'm actually able to read right now. Um, <clears throat> and with conscience, uh, regarding c things with conscience, you can go ahead and send those to me. I've been seeing a therapist. Confession for a few months. Um, and we're talking about times that I feel like hiding or when I feel like I'm dissolving is the word that I've used a lot of times. I feel like I'm just kind of disintegrating, dissolving. Uh, times in my embarrassment or my uh, distress or my shame that what I want is to, I want to just withdraw and hide. And he asked me, what's the inner script? Like, what are the words that 
you hear in your mind when you are feeling that way. And I had never really thought of hearing actual words. It was just sort of this feeling. But as soon as he asked me that, I knew right away that for me, the inner script is, is that the best you can do? Which, if you'll notice, is an impossible question. Because if I say, yes, that's the best I can do, then clearly it's not enough and I suck. Uh, and if the answer is no, then I'm lazy because I'm not doing the best I can do. So that's, that's mine. Is that the best you can do? That's my own conscience when it speaks against me c to condemn me. Um, and, and what's hard is that voice that is the voice of the conscience, it, it comes from a place within you that knows more than anyone else what you've done and said and thought and been and failed to be. And it speaks from a place that, that feels true because it comes from there, but it, but it cuts you down and it twists it as a weapon against you. Um, so, so yeah, I want to give us time now to hear the ways in which our consciences condemn us. And I'm going to read them and again, and I want you to really say it with me, the, the Jesus prayer each time. Um, because it's something that we it's something that we share. <clears throat> My mind accuses me of being such a poor Christian to the point where I feel like I'm fake and I don't belong here. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Others may forgive me, and God may forgive me, but I'll never forgive myself. I deserve to be alone for the rest of my life. Uh, no friends, no family, nobody. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, sinner. I've gone too far, I'm too far gone to ever deserve redemption for the things that I have done. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You have no idea how to tell your friends about Jesus and are afraid of them running away. <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I rely on the people I am close to excessively. I give my power over to them, and then I resent them. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. My conscience begs for my downfall. It reminds me of my many mistakes. It brings up my addiction to pornography, the horrible intrusive thoughts that make me feel like scum. It tells me I deserve the worst of every punishment, and I agree with it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner.
you don't do enough for others, your friends only tolerate you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, there's still a lot coming in, and yeah. This is from First John. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. The final thing is the record itself. The plain account of what we have said and done and left unsaid and undone, apart from whatever these voices might want to say about it. And here's the thing that I notice for me. It's not as easy as I would like to, to just banish the condemning voices of my conscience and my accusers, even when I come to recognize that those voices aren't worth heeding. Because at least for me, these accusations, they're not always outright fabrications. They're not just made up out of nowhere. Like sometimes what they are is distortions, which means that they contain a kernel of some truth about me. Just like uh, a fractured mirror contains reflections of my real face. So I may not be the most selfish person in the world, as my dad has told me, but I really have acted selfishly sometimes. Like, that is a truth about me. And the condemning voice latches on to the reality, and it uses it as a weapon. The devil uh, really is in the details, and there he remains, despite all that we do to exercise him, uh, which in my case, admittedly, is a lot. I keep up appearances. Um, I don't let my weaknesses show. I don't tell people that I've been in therapy until now or that in therapy I discovered that I'm powerfully motivated by the fear of looking stupid, whether it's about board games or NBA trivia or things I say in sermons. I, I don't tell them that I have um, really created an idol out of intellect um, and that beyond just my own self-consciousness, this idol has caused me to treat and think of others in some pretty damaging and toxic ways. Um, T.S. Eliot called this <clears throat> the endless struggle to think well of ourselves. And it's true. It is a struggle without an end because the truth is, and I say this with all the love in my heart for myself and for all of you, but, but the truth is that some things in us are not well and should not be thought well of. Can I say that? Can, can I say that without you feeling that I, I hate you um, because I, I don't hate you? Uh, I love you as I love myself, and, and I want to speak the truth of just my, my blameworthiness, even as I hope to God to say that without a hint of shame. <clears throat> I, I know that all of these things that I'm about to say, like these are me, like we're petty, we're angry, we're apathetic, we're self-absorbed, we're cowardly. We're vengeful. Think of how we talk about people behind their backs. 
Think about what we say about friends and exes and professors and family. Think of how we rejoice at the condemnation of men who do horrible things. Think of how we don't stand up for those who are the most marginalized. There is an apparently endless list of the wrong that we have done and the right that we have left undone in thought, word, and deed. So there's the struggle to think well of ourselves, and then there's the struggle to think honestly of ourselves. And that is hard, but it can end as a struggle. Like once we get over like just toxic notions of shame, we can accept that we are blameworthy. We can stop struggling and we can rest in the honest condemnable truth about ourselves but we can only really do that so long as that we so long as we know that we are loved and that nothing touches that and that nothing shakes that and maybe and I and I understand it too well like maybe that is too much of a contradiction for some of us to accept like maybe we have a hard time believing that we are loved because deep down we know that some things about us by this logic of like punishment and reward or the logic of good and bad like we know that they deserve not love but condemnation we know this we think we know this and we think that we sense this mutual exclusivity between being lovable and being culpable and you can be one or the other but you can't be both but I am here to tell you uh, in a rage of faith that these are not mutually exclusive things about you and about me Um, They're just part and parcel of what it means to be a human uh, in this in this world. Um, And so with all of that in mind, uh, I invite you now to send me whatever you want to say about the record. I said sexually suggestive comments to someone I was close to, and I ruined many meaningful relationships. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I bullied my brother endlessly growing up. I bullied kids in school. I broke promises, disappointed those whom I should have loved. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I seek the honest truth in others, but I never show enough of myself for them to do the same. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I sit on my phone, jealous of people getting together and not thinking of me, ignoring me in conversation and never thinking of me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've manipulated people to get what I want and I've used them for my own good. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I fight with my mom, not because I'm right, but because I don't want her to have the last word. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. My number one thought, hell is other people. I get way too tired to tell the truth. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've allowed my family to go through our family's struggles for years without checking in on them regularly. I've selfishly allowed my brother and sister to go through the same struggles I wish no one would ever have to go through when they were killing me at home. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you feel the weariness of it? I think only about myself 99% of the time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What do we say to these things? What does the cross have to do with it? With all these things on our record, with all these voices that condemn us, For some of us, there's been a fourth source of condemnation, and that is God himself. Is God one more voice waiting to condemn you? Is he a ball of wrath just looking for someone to die so that he can rest easy and forget about all these texts? And we just happen to get lucky because Jesus got in the way of his rage? It's hard to talk about sin and condemnation without talking about wrath. Let me ask you this. Is God an angry God, or is God a God who gets angry? Those of us who grew up with angry parents understand the distinction between somebody who is an angry person and someone who gets angry. And some of us think of God as an angry God, volatile, unpredictable, behind the shield of Jesus. He's like foaming at the mouth, just waiting to get at you. And Jesus is like, no, God, don't do that. It's okay, you can do it to me instead. That causes fear. Fear has to do with punishment. First John is clear that that is not love. But a parent who gets angry, they act decisively against the things that harm their children. Be they bullies or harmful media or stupid children's cartoons or ideas 
or just even their children's own destructive tendencies, like they get angry at those things because those things destroy their children. And do we believe that God would? Because some of us maybe don't believe in an angry God, but we think that God is just kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's cool. The wrath of God, man, I sound like such an old school preacher right now. I wonder if you guys even can hear me. It is always a function of God's mercy. It's not wrath and mercy and they're polar opposites. They are intertwined. The mercy is never something opposed to the wrath. Because when God's anger is occasioned, it comes from a place of concern about this stuff. Should God not be concerned about this, these voices, these records? Should God not get roused up about it? Where we start from matters, and where we start from is this. God does good to all, as the psalmist says, and that his anger is for a moment, but it is his steadfast love that endures forever. That is the fundamental thing. And that's the thing. God's love is for you. And for all of these text messages, despite them, God's love is for you. God is love. And hear me, you are the beloved of God. And here's what wrath is. Wrath is what destroys that which destroys the beloved. Wrath is what destroys that which destroys the beloved, a conscience that condemns, the accusers who condemn, and yes, even the record that condemns. Wrath is that which destroys that which destroys you, the beloved. So does God have wrath on your addiction? On the fact that you lie to yourself and everyone around you in your endless struggle to appear well? Does he have wrath on my idol worship of intellect and the judgmental harm and self-hiding that it brings about? I hope so. God, deliver me from this. I, I put it to death. Please help me. One of the church fathers called wrath a motion of the soul rousing itself to curb sins. Because that is what destroys us. It is the death of us. And so, yes, he has wrath on those things, even as he has compassion on you. There is nothing in all of his dealings with us that is not ultimately and fundamentally a matter of his mercy. And that includes his wrath. And I used to be so uncomfortable singing that song about the wrath of God being satisfied. Because I always just imagine God is like a sniper. And he's got this, like... He's watching everybody's sins through this like 500 times magnifying scope and he's just waiting to pull the trigger. And Jesus steps in to take the bullet. And so now God can like rest easy because he got to fire it at somebody. He's satisfied. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Maybe, Maybe his wrath was satisfied at the cross because there... It's not that he uh, obliterated Jesus or even you and me like representa- representationally through Jesus somehow, but maybe what he, what he obliterated was sin and his wrath against sin was satisfied. His wrath against the things that destroy us was satisfied because that's what wrath does. It destroys that which destroys the beloved. He put an end to those things so that in the end, they would not put an end to us. So maybe we can, or at least me, maybe it didn't bother you. Maybe now I can find a way to sing that song in peace with a clear conscience. 
uh, not meaning that God was just really needing to beat the hell out of someone, and I mean that. Um, and then Jesus got in the way, but meaning that God's wrath finally destroyed the hell in us when Jesus took it to the cross and put it to death with and in himself. At the cross, his wrath is revealed against unrighteousness. That's a Bible phrase that you've probably heard, but, but, but this, this, is what, this is what that is. You don't need to church it up. Like This is what that is, and we feel the heaviness and the weight of it. It's revealed against all these condemning and wicked aspects of our lives that would destroy us if no one did anything about it. And the judgment that God passes on it is this, and I'm almost done. Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, and all of this mess, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. This record that stood against us with all of its demands, and this he set aside nailing it to the cross. It's just, leave it there. It can stay. That has been crucified with him. And I'm just telling you that that as a fact. And the really beautiful thing is that record that is nailed there, uh, it's left there. But what raises again is Jesus and the life that he offers us. I want you to sit back. I want you to close your eyes. Hold your hands, palms up. And hear this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What then shall we say to these things? Here's what we say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or the voices of our accusers or the voices of our consciences? No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen.